911. What is your emergency? I just found a body. I don't know what to do. Government officials insist that this is an isolated incident. You are listening to Nightcap, a true crime podcast. If the mystery of murder intrigues you, or if you find crime quite a curiosity. Welcome home. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and buckle up. It's gonna get dark. Be warned, this podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions of real-life accounts and cases. Listener discretion is definitely advised. Oh, well, hello there. Welcome to our fifth episode, Under the Influence. Apparently, it's pretty easy to get fucked up and fuck some shit up. We've got a couple good ones for you this week, so grab a drink, settle in, and buckle the fuck up. I'm Brittany. I'm I'm Gavin. (laughs) I'm not Gavin. I'm Susie. Hi. (laughs) It's me again. (laughs) It's still Susie. I'm always second. I you know. took my spot. It's funny when I was writing it, I was like, I'm totally going to fuck her up. You did. I'm always second. Uh, but my bad. Yeah, you guys so, should know us by now, but here yeah, we are. You know, if you don't. Um, so what is everyone drinking? Well, I am drinking Two Town Cider House Made in Marion Blackberry Hard Cider. Oh, that's a lot of words. It is a lot of words, but it is delicious. It sounds delicious. <laughs> it's made with Marion berries, Ooh. which I guess are also blackberries. Did you it's know like that? It's like a weird Pacific they, like, like, Northwest cousins? hybrid. Yeah. It is 6.0 alcohol volume. It is nice. He said it was his new favorite. It's boldly crafted in Oregon. Hey, <laughs> and Brittany. It's, it's not I'm a or- seltzer I wasn't either. crafted here, but... <laughs> I am here. In Corvallis. <laughs> I drive through there every time I go to my favorite place in Oregon. <laughs> Where's that? Newport Beach and Yachts. Oh, I went there once. It's the only time I've been to the town. coast since I moved here. I like how that you're not drinking a cider this week, so you had to, or a seltzer that you just are like, I got to read the whole can because it's brand new. Yeah. This isn't a truly. There's so many words on this can. <laughs> so complex. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. Well, I'm drinking Deschutes Little Squeezy Juicy Ale. It's uh, crafted to remove gluten for all you gluten intolerant people out there it's not too shabby i don't know where it's from or the abv because i'm not gonna read my can as much as gavin did but it's good (laughs) it's good stuff i mean you didn't memorize it beforehand no i didn't and i'm drinking like this is my third one so goes to show how much i care about the look of the can (laughs) i had to look and read my can before we even got here just so that would it wouldn't be overwhelming (laughs) and and yet it still was it still was Well, I'm drinking Partake Brewing Non-Alcoholic Pale, which I I think I drank this on our first episode. It's delicious and it's zero carbs, which is nice. Is that a full brewery that does just non-alcoholic? Is that why it's called Partake? Yeah, there's a few that they only do and they're all pretty like clever names. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot now. It's really nice. So I even heard that there was a whiskey. Yeah, there's whiskey. There's whiskey and rum and gin. And I I want to find a vodka. That's like 
pretty new. I've like seen, you know, non-alcoholic wines and champagnes for a while and beers, but yeah, all the spirits now are. So I'll get, get some vodka. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm like, how do you take the the hard alcohol out of the hard alcohol? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I don't know how much like yeah, I don't know. Like is it synth I don't it's crazy. What a world we live in. (laughs) I'll try it sometime. The more you know. Anyways. So yeah, let's. Go. Am I supposed to say let's get started? Let's yeah. dive the fuck in, <laughs> you guys. Let's do it. This is my first day. <laughs> Gavin, what do you got for us? Oh snap! Do I got some facts for you? Oh. So, under the influence is used to describe a person who is intoxicated by either alcohol, drugs, or a combination of the two. Now, crime happens regardless of intoxication. However, it sure relaxes your inhibitions. <laughs> mm-hmm. It sure do. Here are some statistics from the United States Bureau of Justice Statistics on the percentages of crimes committed while under the influence. And might I add that looking all this crap up was incredibly boring. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to share it with you. Yes. <laughs> Hope you like it. <laughs> Crimes of violence come in at 24%. So this is like people who have committed these crimes while under the influence. So 24% of crimes of violence. Rapes and sexual assaults are at 30%. Robbery, 23%. Assault, 24%. Aggravated assault, 26%. And 23 of all simple assaults are also people who are, you know, had either been drinking or doing drugs. All in all, about 42% of all crimes are committed by people who are under the influence. That's almost half, y'all. I was going to say, like, I thought the assaults would be a lot higher because I'm a bartender and I've seen my share of bar fights and (laughs) they're not sober. (laughs) Yep. About one fourth of convicted federal prisoners admit to being or admit to committing crimes while under the influence of illegal substances. Officials estimate that around 1.5 million people are arrested each year for driving under the influence in the United States. That's about 1,250 arrests per 100,000 drivers on the road. That's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of numbers. Drivers are legally alcohol impaired when their blood alcohol concentration, or BAC, is 0.08 grams per deciliter or higher. And every day, nearly 30 people die in the United States from DUI-related crashes. (gasps) That's awful. And about 10,000 people die every year to DUI-related crashes. Oh, don't drive drunk, you guys. When it comes to homicide, alcohol is involved more than any other drug like heroin or cocaine. Hmm. Alcohol intoxication tends to bring out a person's natural expression of anger. Is that drunk words or sober thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) This is why people are easily triggered and become aggressive when provoked while intoxicated. Also, mixing energy drinks into the mix doesn't help either. Cocktails that include energy drinks have been reported to greatly increase verbal and physical aggression. Wow, shocker. I know, oh, right? Boy. Like Four Loco, anybody? Oh my God. I'm so glad we gave that oh. shit up a while ago. Even prescription drugs like Ambien and other sedatives have been linked to crimes such as murder and rape, leaving the perpetrator completely void of all memory of the event. Now I'm going to dive into a very short little case because I don't know why, but people killing people on Ambien really fascinates me. Andrew McClay, 
April 24th, 2009, a family member of 22-year-old Andrew McClay called police to report Andrew had sent an unusual string of text messages and that they were concerned. Deputies were dispatched to McClay's apartment to do a welfare check. When they arrived, they were met with a bloody, gruesome scene. In the entrance to the apartment, they found blood-spattered walls, empty bottles of liquor, and the body of Nicole Burns. Her head badly battered and her body covered in severe trauma caused by a blunt object later discovered to be a hammer. Holy shit. Oh my God. Rigor mortis had already set in and she laid in a puddle of blood. McClay walked out of the bathroom wearing only a shirt and a towel. McClay also had been heavily drinking the night before and had taken five Ambien pills. That's a lot. Five of them? Five. Of them. Jeez, that is not the usual dosage, I imagine. Also some other medications, like over-the-counter stuff. As deputies cuffed him and escorted him out of the apartment, McClay asked them, is my friend going to be okay? <gasps> oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. Odd, right? Oh, the deputy asked, who? Nicole Burns, McClay responded. According to McClay's attorney, this was no act. He truly did not remember bludgeoning his friend to death. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. When they were doing their investigation, they had found that there was no sour tension between the two of them. McClay was gay and uh, Burns was his best friend. They were actually planning on moving in together. Oh, no. no. Ambien is a sedative hypnotic used to treat temporary insomnia. I'm sure you've all heard about it. Mm-hmm. It can cause amnesia, sleepwalking, abnormal behavior, as well as hallucinations and agitation, according to a report by the FDA. Andrew McClay was convicted of second degree murder. That is awful. Right? And I tried and tried and tried and tried to dig more to find more about this case. Nothing. But oh, my gosh. No shit is on lock. Like you got you got to pay to access the court documents and. Like there were only a couple articles on it, which is just fascinating to me because, I mean, it's just that's a brutal ass murder to have zero coverage. Yeah. And Ambien is still on the shelves. Is it an over the counter, too? Or is it? No, Ambien is not an over the counter. It's not a pharmaceutical. Yeah. Yeah. Some things I was reading about it earlier was that. Doctors are now prescribing it at a lower dose for sleeping. But still yeah. in quantities. I mean, you can't stop people from taking more than That is dose. very true. So let's God see here. Damn. The horrors of Ambien doesn't stop here. Prince Adams. He has a badass name, by the way. That's his, that's his first name is Prince? Yeah. Prince Adams. Oh, I, thought, I was like, what are, what year are we going back to? <laughs> a 29-year-old man from Memphis, Tennessee, stabbed his girlfriend 27 times with a pocket knife in 2006 after taking Ambien and dreaming that she was cheating on him. Holy fuck. I mean, even still, that's not the appropriate reaction. No. Oh also, my God. I mean, I've woken up mad. Like, my was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you cheated on me in my dream. You're really yeah. rude. Mad the whole day. <laughs> But fuck. (laughs) Not to that extent. (laughs) Jeez. So also, Roseanne tweeted some awfully shitty things. Some shitty, shitty things. (laughs) While under the influence of Ambien. Roseanne? Get out of here! (laughs) How do you think she lost her show? That was why? She tried to blame it on Ambien. I just wasn't expecting that to pop in here. (laughs) I had no idea. So what have we learned today? 
don't, don't take, take Ambien. Ambien. <laughs> Refuse. <laughs> <laughs> Take some melatonin. Drink some chamomile tea. Get some CBD oil. Like um, you'll be fine. Oh my god! But <laughs> on a serious note, if you found yourself needing help with addiction or recovery, here are some resources. I'm going to hand it on over to Brittany. Hi, I'm Brittany, and I'm an alcoholic. But really, I am. That wasn't like a joke in poor taste. Yeah, if you find that you feel like you may need some help or need someone to talk to at least, um, you can go to findtreatment.gov or call 1-800-662-HELP or you can go to recovery.org. Phone number is 1-888-919-3320 or if you just need to talk to someone, you are more than welcome to reach out to me via Facebook and I am an ear that will listen or read or whatever. And um, yeah, if you just need someone to to talk to, I am here. Thank you, Brittany. We love you. I love you. <laughs> All right, Miss awesome. Susie. Oh, it's my turn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here we go. All right, guys, I'm going to dive right in. So I decided to pick a... I mean, when I heard that we were doing Under the Influence, I immediately thought of this case that happened nine years ago eight or nine years ago and I remember it pretty vividly because it was national news so I thought I would do this one so I'm doing the case of Rudy Eugene which is also known as the Miami zombie oh okay (laughs) it'll ring a bell it'll once I get into it okay so on May 26 2012 Eugene started his day with a drive to Miami Beach in his purple Chevy Caprice after having what seemed to be car troubles eyewitnesses say he abandoned the vehicle and began walking the three-mile stretch of MacArthur Causeway. During his walk, Eugene stripped himself of his clothing and also disposed of his personal items, such as his driver license, as he advanced westward. And I have to note here that after his crime was committed, that police located and towed his vehicle, and after searching the car, they did find five recently consumed water bottles and a Bible, which this will come into relevancy later. Hmm, okay. Okay, so now Eugene, he was now completely butt-ass naked. What was that? Came across, like <laughs> right? Came across a man named Ronald Popo at approximately 1:55 p.m. in the afternoon. So this is broad daylight. Like dudes just walking butt-ass naked, just in a pretty common stretch of Miami, I think, from what it seems from what I read. Oh, yeah, Florida man. <laughs> Yeah, they say he's the most intense Florida man. <laughs> That's like a man I'm like It was all one person this whole time. <laughs> this guy knows how to party. <laughs> no, it's actually really horrific. Okay, so Stop Papo, <laughs> Papo, a homeless 65 year old man, was simply lying underneath a Metro Mover railway when out of nowhere, Eugene attacked him. Eugene ripped off Papo's pants and underwear. And began choking and kicking him, as well as biting and gnawing on Ronald Papo's face. Oh. Jesus. Why do you take yeah. the pants off? I thought you were going to say choking something else. Yeah, no. The chicken? It's weird. <laughs> the ch- or choking it. on. Okay. A chicken? <laughs> oh, it's funny. Yeah, a chicken. <laughs> you know how we do. <laughs> So this gruesome gruesome attack actually went on for 18 minutes. (gasps) Holy crap. Until the police arrived. Oh my. 
And they knew it went on for 18 minutes because it was recorded by a security camera nearby. It caught the whole thing. I mean, you can, it's off the camera, but you can see like two sets of legs and one man on top of the other. But you can tell how long this shit had happened until police had arrived and tried to stop him. Okay, so reports say that three separate people had called police during the time of the attack after witnessing Eugene's naked ass. For one, because that's weird. That's some, what is that, public indecency? Not not indecency. Is that what it is when you're naked? Yeah, public indecency. And so a man named Mike, who chose to keep his last name anonymous, which is funny that you guys said that, said that he saw no blood as he passed by the scene and, quote unquote, did not get a good look at what the men were doing. Honestly, he said, I thought they were having sex. Oh, (laughs) I would have too. I mean, that's still like something you, you know, (laughs) want to let someone know about. But okay. so back to the authorities arriving on scene, a Miami police officer named Jose Ramirez was the first to witness the atrocity. And he called out to Eugene to stop and end the attack on Papo or force was going to be taken, you know, like cut that shit out. So in response, Eugene reportedly ignored the warnings, growled. At the officer and resumed biting the victim's face. No. At that point, seeing no other solution, Officer Ramirez fired once at Eugene and then four more times after the first shot seemed to be ineffective. That's really. Mm-hmm. Rudy Eugene was pronounced dead at the scene. Ronald Popo, however, was taken to Jackson Memorial Hospital. He was critically injured, having lost 75 to 80 percent of his face. Jesus. Ha- Hold on. Did the zombie man actually swallow? Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, yeah, we're going to get we're going to get there. Oh, no, God. So 75 to 80 percent of his face had been chewed off above his beard. He had also lost his left eye completely during the attack. Holy shit. Yeah, like, the eyeball's gone. I don't know where it went, but it's not there anymore. Okay, so Papo miraculously survived and underwent months of facial reconstructive surgery. Although, after it all, he remained completely blind out of both eyes Mm. and was obviously permanently disfigured. Mm. So now a little bit about Ronald Papo. He was born on May 17th, 1947. He grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And even received an IQ of 129, which is exceptionally intelligent, according to the scale. I had to look it up. I was like, what does that mean? I was just going to say, I don't know. I don't even know my own IQ score either. (laughs) But I looked it up. So he was like below genius level, one notch, which is crazy. And um, he reportedly went to a city college after graduation, but soon dropped out in 1966. By 1976, Papa was homeless. So at the time of the attack, many of his family members had presumed him dead, like before the attack even occurred. They just thought he was dead, including his own daughter, who hadn't seen him in around 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Which is crazy. That's how long he had been like homeless and just adrift for his own family just thought he was dead even before this. And this whole encounter brought him back into the spotlight for them. And they were like, oh, shit. Imagine finding out this way. Like, right. Like his daughter. Yeah, hey, he's still alive. Oh, but also... Yeah, he just lost 80% of his face. No big deal. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Okay, so uh, um, after the attack, Papo thanked the Miami police graciously for saving his life. 
And his official statement on July 19th, 2012, explained that Eugene was, quote unquote, mad that he couldn't score at the beach and was obviously, quote unquote, souped up on something when he started talking about how the two of them were both going to die. Oh, what? He also accused him of stealing his Bible. Remember the car with the Bible in it? Mm. He accused the homeless man of stealing his Bible and in Papa's account, in his words, went absolutely berserk with no provocation. So now we're going to go back to Rudy Eugene, the biter. He was born on February. He was born on February 4th, 1981 and was of Haitian descent. He was married from 2005 to 2008 and was estranged from his wife without a complete divorce until his death. Although his estranged wife claimed there was never any domestic violence in their marriage. He met his new and last girlfriend, Rakia Cross, in 2007 and was with her until the day that he died. She had quite a bit to say about his death, but we're going to get into that later. Rudy Eugene was arrested eight times from the time he was a teenager on. The first arrest was for assault in 1997. Another assault occurred in 2004, and this time it was on his own mother. He broke a table, he smashed objects all around the house, and even told her that he was, quote unquote, going to put a gun to her head and kill her. Ugh. She gave you life. When was he born? He was 31 around the time of his death, so I don't know that math. (laughs) So he only received probation for this offense of attacking his mother, and all the crimes he committed after were mainly related to marijuana. Now, at the time of the attack on Papa, police and officials had speculated that Eugene was under the influence of bath salts, which were common in the area at that time, where they're also known as flaca. So you remember that hype for mm-hmm. all that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So according to drugs.com, bath salts are a designer drug of abuse. Crack it. <laughs> They're a designer drug of abuse with reports of dangerous intoxication. Now these bath salts are not your average Epsom salt or smelly dissolvable bath accessories. <laughs> They are mine. Not? They're not. It's not a bath bomb. It's not. An, this isn't gonna help your achy muscles. I might. I don't know. Okay. Oh. They are mind-altering drugs that stimulate your central nervous system and inhibit the dopamine neurotransmitters in your brain. The high of bath salts is similar to that of methamphetamine and cocaine, but is actually a cheaper substitute for both on the street. I don't know why they put that in there on drugs.com. I'm like. Are you guys don't. advertising for this? Yeah, show? I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> can we please not? Don't do it, though. You can't afford it? No, yeah, no, don't. Okay. Um, the sought after side effects of bath salts are euphoria, increased wakefulness and concentration, elevated sex drive, talkativeness, hallucination, empathy, and just your typical rush. Acute side effects may include rapid heart rate, chest pain, high blood pressure, hyperthermia, which is getting too hot, pupil dilation, excess sweating, vessel constriction, muscle spasms, reduced appetite, or seizures. None of that sounds fun. No, that's just the acute. So higher dosage side effects include severe fucking panic attacks, psychosis, paranoia, agitation, confusion, insomnia, violent behavior, and or irritability. Irritability. (laughs) Yeah. All the goods. All the goods. So now 
with all of Eugene's behaviors being pretty much chalked up to the use of bath salts, obviously, I mean, he was naked and hot and had consumed five water bottles before he got out of his fucking car, got mad yeah. about his Bible that he forgot. <laughs> so it was all chalked up to the use of bath salts. And that is like we all believed in 2012. Remember when the story came out and it was like, Florida man, high on bath salts, ate this uh-huh. guy's face off. Right. So... The medical examiner that inspected Eugene's body found nothing in his system besides marijuana and some undigested pills. The undigested pills were never identified to the public, though. So we have no idea what they were. They never released that. And they even did not find any human remains in Rudy Eugene's stomach. What? Like through 80% of his that chewing that guy's face off, none of it made its way to his stomach. Huh. Which is also well, kind of strange. Yeah. That, you're going okay. to chew off 80% of a man's face and none of it's going to, like, you're not going to swallow any of it? <laughs> it's like a spit, like a spit <laughs> of the wine tasting. It, you're spitting it out like it's a well done oh steak God. that you can't swallow. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's not a wine tasting. Well, my brain immediately. It's, like a it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> okay, thank you for being worse than me. You're welcome. No, I I had I had compared it to uh, like people that get their steaks well done and they can't swallow it because they just chew on no. it and then they spit it out because. So we're just all going to hell. That's okay. No. I think we established that. Yeah, you're right. You're ago. driving the bus. Yeah, remember, I'm driving. That's right. <laughs> Someone's oh, DJing gosh. and oh, Jesus. Okay. We God need help like us an all. illustration of that. So after all was said and done, you know, Eugene's girlfriend, the current girlfriend, not the, the ex-wife, came out after the attack. And right now I'm going to read a snippet of what she said, and this is quoted from the article written by Dadage Green for the Miami Herald. So I just wanted to give him some credit because I am reading this pretty much word for word. Um, the man being depicted by the media as a quote-unquote face eater or monster is not the man she knew, she said. He smoked marijuana often, though he had recently said he wanted to quit, but he did not use stronger recreational drugs and even refused to take over-the-counter medication for simple ailments like headaches. He was sweet and well-mannered, she said. Eugene's girlfriend has her own theory on what happened that day. She believes Eugene was drugged unknowingly. The only other explanation, she said, was supernatural. That someone put a voodoo curse on him. (laughs) That's a good turn. I wasn't expecting. Okay. Well, the girlfriend, who, unlike Eugene, is not Haitian, said she has never believed in voodoo until now. I guess voodoo is a common thing in in Haitian, like the Haitian culture. So I think that that was a known thing. And she had even said that she was not Haitian, but she, you know, she never believed in voodoo until now. So during their time together, she said Eugene would sit on the bed or on the couch in the evenings with her to read from his Bible. He carried it with him just about everywhere he went and often cited verses to friends and family. He's very attached to that damn Bible. Apparently. (laughs) I mean, even in whatever psychosis he had going on, that was what he was worried about was somebody stole my Bible. So if someone was lost or didn't know God, he would tell them about him. She said he was a definite believer of God. So the man that everyone was calling the Miami zombie was her boyfriend. Her reaction was utter disbelief. That's not Rudy. That's not Rudy. She remembers saying loud in shock when that night after not being able to reach him for hours and hours and hours, 
the story came on the evening news and she couldn't believe that it was him. Like Ooh. she was like, there's no, there's no fucking way. Um, after the incident, Rudy's mother also spoke up for the first time to defend her dead son. These quotes are also from the same article by Green, as I've stated before. She said, everybody says that he was a zombie, but I know he's not a zombie. He's my son, she said. She said the man who ate another human being's face was just not the son she knew. I don't know what they injected him injected in him to turn him into the person who did what he did, she said, making the motion of someone putting a syringe into the crook of her arm. So she thought somebody like literally was like shot him oh up or some shit. Yeah. A friend of Rudy's, Joe Arielis, I don't know if I'm saying that right, who had known him since they were teenagers, told the Miami Herald that Rudy was going through a lot with his family and he was jumping from job to job. His friend claims Rudy was battling with the devil. Oof. Yeah. So a lot of his like close, I mean, I couldn't find a lot in this case, which was surprising because it was such a popular case back in 2012. I mean, I remember hearing about it and there was really not that much info besides like there was a whole article just done on people that were like defending him and saying like he had a contagious smile. He was so nice. There was no way that he would do this. I mean, he did like to smoke weed, but he was a God fearing man and you know, all the shit. And like the girlfriend said that even that morning he woke up, gave her a kiss and left to go to like some car show on the beach, which is why he was bringing his his car there. And then something had happened between 5 a.m. and noon of when he started going out of his mind. I don't know. So with the victim alive and the attacker deceased, the case was obviously closed. And to this day, nobody knows what truly made Eugene act in such an inhumane and disturbing manner. Huh. Fuck. So hold on. Let me backtrack for just a second. They assumed it was bath salts? They had assumed it was bath salts before the medical examiner came forth with the like autopsy report. And so a- to this day, they don't know. Mm-mm. They what? won't identify what they said that there was undigest pills. They didn't release what those pills were, which I thought was weird. But even if I mean, bath salts aren't pills, they're usually snorted or... You can take them orally or you can take them rectally or you can smoke them or inject them, but they're usually snorted like it's like a powder. That's a bold assumption to just be like, probably bath salts. Like, I think I think because of like the high amount of like cases and weird shit going on on around the country at that time, because Flocka was like a new thing. So I think they just had automatically assumed that it was Flocka and bath salts. Like they were like, this fits, you know, what was going on. And so that was what was put out in the in the media. But, I mean, I heard about man high on bath salts ate another dude's face off. Yeah. I never heard that they came forward and were like, there was no bath salts in his yeah, system. Yeah, to this day, that's exactly what I thought. That- that's what I thought, too. Yeah. So, I was like, this took an interesting spin to me because I'm like, then I read that there was nothing in his system besides some undigest pills. And then with, like, the five water bottles that were recently consumed and mm-hmm. all these accounts of people that knew him saying, like, he was not the type of person you know, I'm not justifying anything that he did because obviously something fucked up went down for him to act the way that he did, unprovoked and everything. But it wasn't what I thought. I just thought this guy liked to do bath salts and he took too many and he bit this fucking homeless man's face off back in 2012. That's what I thought. So it's kind of interesting. Just, yeah, I'm really surprised that they didn't release exactly what was found in his system, like to, ex- you know, to explain it right. or bring some sort of, you know, that's. Well, especially for such a well-known case. Mm-hmm. Like we heard about this all the way in Washington. That was like big news. It was like a huge thing. Yeah, there were videos all over the place of people doing bath salts and acting crazy. Right. And on that note, 
I want to just say Ronald Papo is alive and well, and he's adjusting to his new life since the attack. And he has had the help of many donations being paid up to $107,000 to go towards his life oh and God, his medical bills at the time. Up have the photos. So I sent Gavin and Brittany. Oh my word. The uncensored and very graphic photos of what had happened this day. You guys can find these on Murderpedia. If you want to take a look, they are kind of fucked up and very bloody. So be warned. Oh my. Holy Moses. A person did that. When I said 80% of his face, I wasn't <gasps> joking. Oh my God. Wow. That is insane. Holy shit. Oh, I see what you're talking about. The the camera where you can only is, see their legs. You can only see the legs in security footage. Yeah. That last photo is super fucking brutal. Gonna be in my nightmares tonight. And yeah, he was stark ass naked. <laughs> he was. And he pulled the under. I mean, you can see that the other man, his pants and his underwear were taken off, too. And as he just lays there on the ground with his face chewed off, because this was 18 minutes, you guys. I want to remind you that that was 18 minutes of him. And he had said in his uh, like his official statement to the police that he was like, this man was bigger than me. I had no way of fighting back. There was nothing I could do. I mean, this is a 65 year old man against a 31 year old man. Wow. So there was literally nothing he could do. He just sat there and took it. And he was like, I'm going to die. And he was thankful to police. And he came out of this with such a uh, like a happy outlook on life. I mean, in his mind, he just got donated one hundred seven thousand dollars and he's been in a hospital and being fed and being taken care of. So, I mean, that's got to be better than being on the streets, I imagine. He looks healthy as fuck. Yeah. He's in such good spirits about everything. Like he's happy to be alive. He's thankful that the police had saved him. I I don't know why I'm looking at the pictures again. It's insane. Oh I must have looked at the pictures like a few times because I was so baffled that that was the damage that was done and he didn't lose his life. Crazy. But this is all this information that I mean, I thought I knew about the Miami yeah. zombie and the basalt zombie, but there was all this other shit. Now it's completely open to speculation of what fucking happened to him because they just gave up and closed the case and called it good because Ronald Papo was fine and he was alive and everything was good. God damn. God damn. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Pretty, pretty intense. I mean, Florida, they're infamous. I don't know. They got some shit going on. Damn it, Florida. <laughs> Let's take a quick minute to hear about our friends, Karen and Ben over at Crime and Compulsion Podcast, shall we? Hey guys, this is Ben. And I'm Karen. All you do is read about crime. If you have serial killer posters in your bedroom. If you're hiding newspaper article clippings under your bed, looking at you, Karen. Don't be concerned. We share your compulsion. Join us, Ben and Karen, husband and wife team, as we delve deeper into the mind of serial killers. Dive into the darker side of humanity, but from the safety of your own couch. You can find our website, crimeandcompulsion.com. Find us on Facebook, Crime and Compulsion. Find us on Instagram, Crime and Compulsion Podcast. Find us on Twitter, at Crime Compulsion. Find our episodes wherever you get your favorite podcast streaming from. But right, Britt, so I guess you're next, right? You told us it was yeah. juicy. You didn't tell us anything else. I'm excited to hear. When we had decided on the topic for this week, this was the first case that I thought of. And it is one that was or is pretty well known. And it's really sad, but it's also very like there's a lot of mystery behind it. And while I was doing my research for it, there is a lot of information that I realized I did not know. And it totally changed my view of this case. So I am going to talk about Diane Schuler and the Taconic Parkway tragedy. Ooh. So 
On uh, Sunday, July 26, 2009, 36-year-old Diane Schuler, her husband, Daniel, and then their th- two kids and three nieces. Their kids are five-year-old Brian and two-year-old Aaron. And then their nieces are eight-year-old Emma, seven-year-old Allison, and five-year-old Kate. They had been camping for the weekend. They were heading home that day. So around 9.30 a.m., they had gotten all their shit packed up. They left from the campground. It was Hunter Lake Campground in Parkville, Parksville, New York. They're getting ready to head home to their home in West Babylon, New York, which is about a, looked it up, like about 142 miles, two hour, 45 minute drive or so. Daniel took the pickup truck that had the luggage and their dog. And then Diane took, it was her brother Warren's minivan. She had borrowed it for the trip and had all five of the kids in there with her. So Daniel was just going to head straight home. And then uh, Diane was going to, you know, make the obligatory road trip stops like McDonald's and gas and bathroom um, breaks. Yeah. Bathroom that breaks, all that kids, good I stuff. Imagine. I would kill for some chicken nuggies right now. <laughs> That's what I call the dogs I was watching today. They're just little <gasps> chicken nuggies. Chicken really? nuggies. That's what I call my boo bear. Yeah, I'll, I'll send, <laughs> it's not these ones that barged in here earlier. I was I've watched was watching a lot of dogs today. I'll send you pictures. They literally look like chicken nuggets with just little like stubby feet. I love them so much. <laughs> my Shelby does not look like a chicken nugget at all, but I call her my little tiki nuggie. Oh, yeah, they just my little nuggie. I've been watching them for like two years, and I don't know why after the first day, I was like, they look like chicken nuggets. So they're just my little chicken nuggies. Anyways, so left the campground around 9.30 a.m. Just before 10 a.m., they stopped at McDonald's, and there is security video, uh, you know, just sees Diane and the kids eating, and the kids played in the little playground, uh, play place, whatever the hell it is. And everything was normal. You know, they left about 30 minutes later. So, oh, I forgot to mention, there's like a very specific timeline that it's like times and it it may seem redundant, but like the timeline is very important to like the whole story. Normally I wouldn't go this deep into the different times stuff happened, but so we love the relevancy. They left about 30 minutes later and then at about 1045 AM, they stopped at a gas station And again, there's a security video shows the minivan pulling in, Diane getting gas. Diane then went into the store at the gas station. Again, she seemed fine. Apparently, uh, she was trying to get just some over the counter pain medication, like a, you know, Tylenol kind of thing. But the store was out of them. So she left. All the employees said that she seemed fine. Everything was, you know, whatever. Pretty normal. Um, Yeah. So after they pumped the gas and she went to the store, drove off from the gas station around 11 a.m. And this is where it kind of slowly starts like, what the fucking. So at 1137 a.m., Emma, which is one of Diane's nieces, called her dad, Warren, using Diane's phone just to let them know or let him know that they might be a little late getting home um, because there was apparently a lot of traffic. Warren briefly talked to Diane on the phone. Again, everything seemed chill nothing was weird so it was at 11 37 a.m looking at the records between 11 30 and noon there were several witnesses that called cops to report that there was a red minivan driving aggressively down the highway and a witness said that at 11 45 a.m she saw diane out of her car kind of leaned over like she was like getting sick like puking yeah And then a little bit later, the minivan that the woman saw pulled over with Diane passed them on the highway. So this person drove by. And then a little bit later, the van that was 
pulled over was going fast enough to have then gone back on the freeway and then passed them. At uh, 12.08, Jackie, who is the mom of the three nieces, called Diane just to kind of check in. Phone call was less than two minutes long and nothing seemed wrong. Then again, from 12.15 to 12.45, there are a lot of reports that of witnesses seeing the red minivan driving aggressively, weaving through traffic, going too slow, going too fast, honking their horn, tailgating, ah. um, trying to pass on you know the shoulder. And then again, there's a report of seeing the minivan pulled over, Diane on the guardrail vomiting. This is already uh, like giving me anxiety because there's so many kids in the car. It's like freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah. 1255. There was a 17 second call from Diane's phone and it just was to a wrong number. Oh. At 1258, Diane called Jackie, the niece of the, the girl's mom. She kind of sounded out of it. The call lasted for about two and a half minutes and then the signal dropped right as that call was ending. Warren, the husband, got home and, you know, Jackie was like something was, you know, off. Warren calls Diane. Uh, Warren is Diane's brother. They talked for about eight minutes and Diane seemed disoriented out of it. Diane pulled over and again, Emma, his daughter, got on the phone, said that Diane was having trouble seeing and speaking clearly. Holy she shit. was able to see where the exit sign was that they were. And so Warren got back on the phone and told Diane, OK, you guys like just stay there. Like, I'm going to I'll, I'll meet you guys there. Wait, um, how old was Emma? Emma was eight. Oh, shit. Hmm. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Emma was eight, which is heartbreaking. We're dealing mm. with. I um, totally had like spaced what this entire episode was about. And I'm like, why is this woman driving and <laughs> acting all crazy? <laughs> no, I'm sitting here like I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, what is this bitch what on? Happened? What is um, she on? What happened? So, yeah, Warren just is like, OK, stay where you guys are. I'll come to you. I guess the last thing that Emma said is there's something wrong with Aunt Diane at so I was at 12.58. They were on the phone for eight minutes. At 1.10, there were four calls from Diane's phone, again, to just wrong numbers. <gasps> and then at Ooh. that point, it's suspected that Diane left her phone. This article I read said, quote unquote, neatly on a concrete barrier, got in the car and drove off again. Without her phone. Hmm. Yeah. Neatly? So, yeah, that's the word that they use. So like... Like on it a was concrete barrier, like off of an exit. They say that it seems like she purposefully like left it Methodically. There. Oh yeah. God. That's oh, God. Oh, geez. At 1.15, Warren calls back and it just goes to voicemail. There are about a dozen phone calls that go to voicemail over the next 20 minutes. At this point, they've been on the road for about four hours. A few minutes after 1.30, Diane turns right onto an exit ramp for the Taconic State Parkway. And she is driving south into northbound traffic. <gasps> she drives for <gasps> about 1.7 miles, going approximately 85 miles per hour. What? Oh. So going the wrong way? Mm -hmm. At 1.35 p.m., the minivan smashes head on into a 2004 Chevy Trailblazer. Mm -mm. Diane, her daughter... And two of her nieces, and as well as the three occupants in the trailblazer, were killed instantly. <gasps> Damn. One of the nieces was taken to the hospital, and where she later died. Diane's son, Brian, was taken to the hospital, and he is the only survivor of this crash. 
um, he had broken people? bones. There were nine oh, total. So, so it was Diane, the five kids. Yep. Oh Diane, the five kids. And then there were three men in the trailblazer. Oof. So I want the, I want the toxology report. <laughs> oh, that literally doesn't like that's. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Oh, you'll, okay. I mean, it, it does. You'll see. Okay. Brian had some broken bones and he had severe head trauma. People that were, uh, you know, saw the crash and they went to go try to help said that it seemed like the kids weren't in any seatbelts, any car seats, the way they landed, which is awful to say, but they (gasps) basically, the people that were helping at first almost didn't see Brian because the kids were like, he was underneath them. Um, Oh my God. The three men that were in the other car were uh, 81 year old Michael Bastardi Sr., his son, Guy Bastardi, who is 49, and then a family friend, Daniel Longo, who is 74. And they were on their way to a family dinner. No, Mm. no. It sucks because there's not a lot in all the dozens of articles about these three men that were in the other car, you know, so there's some stuff. But just I I was I wanted to find more about them to do. You know, I like to try to focus my stories primarily on the victims and not the person that did it. Unfortunately, there just wasn't a lot to learn about them. The funeral was a few days later on July 30th. And at this time, they assumed that it was just a very unfortunate accident. You know, there was no toxicology or autopsy reports. And it was a funeral service for Diane and the four children. It was obviously a very emotional event. And uh, like so like seeing like the caskets all just getting like filed out of the church was just heartbreaking. So everyone that spoke had really positive things to say about Diane. She was, you know, a loving person, a you know, perfect mother, just very happy and positive. And I mean, even, you know, her brother, Warren, who lost his three daughters in the crash, had nothing but just good things to say about Diane and, you know, and what a tragedy it was. However, that tragedy changed about five days later on August 4th. There was a press conference from the state police and they had the autopsy and toxicology reports. Diane's yes, I want to hear them. Yeah. Diane's blood alcohol content was 0.19%. <gasps> Whoa. Which is That's over more than double over the legal, legal limit. limit. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. She also had another six grams of alcohol in her stomach that had not yet absorbed. Holy shit. Damn. So based on her weight and, and height and all that, that equals to roughly 10, like an equivalent of 10 shots of liquor. She also had high levels of THC. The levels were uh, so high that they said like she most likely like would have had to get that in her system like 15 minutes before the crash. What? What? So oh. obviously the outlook on this crash very quickly went from a tragedy about this mom who, you know, no one knows what happened to just what the fuck, like hatred for this woman, That's you know, why you incompetent, fucking irresponsible woman. Yeah. And, you know, now she's a murderer. So her husband, Daniel, very much denied Diane having any sort of drinking problem. They had been together for like 13 years. He Did he just, say that she smoked weed? So he first said, okay, Diane's not a heavy drinker. Never seen her like get to that point. And she would smoke weed every now and then for insomnia. But then later her Diane's sister-in-law 
in like a separate thing was quoted as saying that she was like a heavy smoker of weed. That was how they worded it, which was kind of weird. But so uh, I believe it was his sister. Um, They kind of did a lot of the press and everything like they both were speaking for the family. And so he goes, oh, she doesn't smoke that often, just sometimes for, you know, insomnia. And then she's like, oh, yeah, she smoked weed a lot. Yeah. Daniel, like he just to this day is like, nope, that's not what it was. She could have had a stroke or an embolism or a heart attack or, you know, maybe because of her diabetes, like this and that, even though the autopsy showed zero signs pointing even in the direction of any of that. There were two men who were at the crash that had been pulling, tried to get Diane out of the car, and they reported seeing a broken handle of absolute vodka near the driver's seat. Whenever Daniel would be asked about this and he went, I mean, he later went on to like he did a whole fucking media tour of this. Like he went on to Larry King, this and that, just trying to working really fucking hard and unnecessarily. And see, I mentioned that my view of this had totally changed. And up until this, I was like that poor family, like there had to have been some other something that happened. Like, you know, I believed like, no, there's no way that she could have. But after reading into it, I'm like, this motherfucker is like hiding something because he went so out of his way to prove that she was not a drinker or a smoker. So he had when Daniel was asked about it, he had said that handle is like kept in the camper, you know, when they go camping so they could like make a drink or, or something. And, you know, he'd be asked, well, then why was it in the van? And he's like, I don't know. You know, Diane is the one that packed up the van. Maybe, you know, she accidentally packed it with everything else or maybe it just accidentally got there. Like, oh, it just um, tripped and fell right in the driver's seat. Yeah. What a piss off. It was just ridiculous. And, you know, the family of the three men that were in the other car, the families of them, you read about them in a lot of interviews that they're just like, he's prolonging the pain for us. Like, just let it rest. Just accept that she was an alcoholic and she drank. And this was an awful thing. Like, but by continuing to like push and push and try to find an answer and try to prove that she wasn't, it's just we have to hear about this. We have to keep hearing about it yeah. when it's just it's a it's a open it and shut case, you know, oh, no. um, like I said, he continued to deny that she was an alcoholic. However, there was a documentary that is on HBO. Again, I had watched it before and now reading like it was a pretty in poor taste for this document to be made. It was made like six months after the crash. Apparently, HBO had offered Daniel and the family like one hundred thousand dollars to do this documentary. Oh, my God. Um, what? Yeah. And he took it and it was supposed to be this like investigative documentary to like try to find the truth. I watched it again last night because I was like, oh, cool. It'll have like some information. But that's when I was like, wait a minute, like this is not chill. I found it very interesting with his claims that she was not an alcoholic. Learning about Diane's childhood and life and who she was before she died. To me, being an alcoholic, it was like screaming to me like yeah, this bitch was an alcoholic. There's no. So she um, when she was very young, her mom left. And so she grew up with her dad and then her three brothers. She spent a lot of her childhood taking care of her brothers, being the mom of the family. You know, she constantly struggled with her weight growing up and into adulthood. Always was very like needed to be the center of attention, you know, very like, look at me. So already that basically describes me. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. You know, people are talking about her and they're like, she was the perfect mom. She was super mom. You know, she would 
do this and go to school and work a full-time job. And the kids would always, you know, have their hair neat and their clothes are neat and this and that. She did all this. And yeah, that sounds like someone that's trying to put on a really good front. You know, I mean, just considering a lot of her background. Like a closet alcoholic. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I literally wrote on here closet drinking. Like it's not like it's out of the question that, you know, and and you don't even have to say that she purposely got that drunk for it. I don't know. One theory of what happened to her that I had thought of a while ago is it's called auto brewery syndrome. I'm going to read from uh, medicalnewstoday.com. Auto brewery syndrome is a rare condition that occurs when yeast in the gut produces excessive quantities of ethanol, which can cause symptoms similar to those of being drunk. People who have auto brewery syndrome register abnormally high blood alcohol levels, even if they consume no alcohol. They have the high blood alcohol levels and they also, I mean, they act drunk, even though they've consumed no alcohol. And so when I had learned that auto brewery syndrome was a thing, I immediately thought of this case. And I'm like, I wonder if that's what happened. Obviously, that had been brought up. And again, the autopsy showed zero signs of any of that. And there's no auto brewery syndrome for THC. Like, you know, like there's no condition that's going to put THC in your system. So that is not anything that happened. So the crash was ruled a homicide. District attorney had said that the charges died with her. So obviously no charges could be filed, which, again, the family of the people in the other car had argued that being like there's something that could have been done and brought to court. We could have gotten something, you know, some sort of justice from this, at least to the public eye. Like this is an issue and or like drunk driving is a problem and intoxicated driving is a killer something. Well, so it was. I mean, it was given to the public that she was drunk. Like there was no question about it. Oh, and okay. she was drunk. She was high. But her husband was just constantly like, no, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. Just no, she wasn't. against it. Oh. Let me let me prove that she wasn't. He had soon after the crash, he had paid a private investigator named Tom Ruskin $30,000 to basically dig deeper into this. He's really just not accepting it and trying to clear his and her name. And... Tom worked for him, did some investigating at first was, you know, on his side. And then after he did all of that and he had the tests rerun, he just found the same test results. At that time, Daniel and his sister started just ignoring Tom, but would say to the public that, you know, Tom took their money and then left. When in reality, Tom did the work he was supposed to do. They just didn't like that. He found nothing new. Oh, they didn't like the results. Yeah. So they instead painted a picture of this guy, Tom, that he just took the money and ran. In December of 2009, the Bastardi family of the three men in the other car filed a lawsuit against Diane's estate and Warren. They had to include Warren, her brother, because that was his car that they were in for Mm. willful and reckless conduct. In July of 2011, Jackie Hance, who was the mother of the three girls, filed a suit against Daniel stating that the three girls suffered terror, fear of impending death, extreme horror, fright, and mental anguish. And then later in July 2011, Daniel tried to sue the state for, quote unquote, not keeping the road safe and tried to sue his brother-in-law because it was his minivan that (gasps) Diane was driving. Oh, my God. What a dick. What a. Oh, my God. Yeah. All of the charges were dropped or either settled by 2014. Uh, So nothing came of that. The Bastardi family has a lot of resentment for Diane, obviously. But 
to Daniel too, be for carrying this on and not just well, yeah, of course, getting over it. Of course. To this day, I mean, we'll literally never know what happened in those few hours before the crash. What led up to this? What was going through her mind? But it is just an awful and horrific story. There's a lot of news articles, a lot of information. And like I said, there is the documentary on HBO. It's called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. And it does give a lot of does give a lot of information watching it now. I realize it is all from the standpoint of the husband Mm -hmm. trying to prove that she wasn't drunk. Wow. So it's still an interesting thing to watch. Uh, As far as um, Warren and Jackie Hance, who lost their three daughters, uh, Jackie wrote a book called I'll See You Again, uh, just about going through all of this and coming out of it. And I read that they I'm not sure when they did have another daughter at some point after, which gave them kind of a purpose again, which was really that is so fucking sad. Yeah. So uh, that was Diane Schuler. And I have now learned to make sure I type up my cases. (laughs) I think you did a pretty good job. You did great. (laughs) (laughs) We love you. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that. That's fucking super sad. I can't imagine being like the the brother or the sister-in-law and being like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, because like I'm really close knit with my family. And I feel like if my sister was like, oh, I want to take, you know, your kids camping and everything's going to be good and la-di-da. And I'd be like, yeah, for sure. I want them to have that experience. And then to just lose all three of my children. I mean, that's a type of like resentment and like tragedy that I don't think any normal person would really get over. No. And I mean, nothing, there was nothing, there was no reason for them to not let them go. They were so close. Like Diane was like another mom to them. Of course. There was absolutely nothing. This came out of essentially nowhere. That's the mystery behind it is like, what the fuck happened? You know? Uh, Yeah. So it's awful. You're not drinking drive, folks. (laughs) I was just going to say that. Don't fucking do it. Just don't. It's selfish. It's fucking unruly. Nobody is good at drunk driving. I don't care how many times you've done it. Yeah. Bullshit excuse. It's a gross excuse. As a bartender, I've heard that way too many times Mm -hmm. and it's disgusting and it's a bad fucking habit. I know that's why we're here. Thank you, Brittany, for that heart wrenching story. (laughs) I tried. Yeah, I tried to. I don't know. You know, you're always you're always doing a good job of uh, bringing us real down. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? These are just like, like I could not pop in any dog dad jokes <laughs> in that bitch. I tried to breeze over the really sad parts and focus more on the, the facts. What the fucks of it? But right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here for, you know. I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you know. I mean, just... I went brutal and savage, and you went tragic and heart wrenching. I mean, these are topics we can't avoid like in a I true do. crime podcast. Exactly, we can't always make light of this shit, you guys. We we tried to make it we... a little happier this week, but you know, what can you do? <laughs> it came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> if you're looking for something a little happier. <laughs> Pop on over to our Patreon and subscribe at either $3 for a basic bitch tier or $10 for a bad bitch tier. And you can listen to our Pillow Talk episodes that will make you giggle your little ass off. 
That's where the facts. That's where the Florida headlines, the funny crime. That's where that Florida man. The abnormal lives. Weapon of choice in murders and funny weapon. My favorite game. And an interactive game that you guys can play at home. Right. Don't you want to know what the fuck we're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep inching it in because literally we're still laughing about it. And it became an inside joke with the three of us. And it could be an inside joke with you, too, if you want to subscribe. You can also <laughs> check out the cutest bank robbers you've ever seen in your entire life. A uh, little um, giveaway. They're covered in fur. Little benditos. <laughs> little benditos. <laughs> it's worth it, you guys. And, and it helps us in this dog eat dog podcast community making podcasts we're trying our best incredibly expensive nobody told me this when i decided (laughs) to do this that it would be so expensive surprise and make sure y'all check out our website (laughs) nightcaptruecrime.com you can listen to all our episodes you can find our contact information and annoy the fuck out of us please let's see here what else do we got we did not write an outro to this episode. Oh, nope. yeah. Next and week's shows. episode is going to be something very new <laughs> and Da-da-da. fun. Susie, what is it? It's Murder Matchup. We're going to release a trailer pretty soon about this. It's a random drawn fun little thing that we're going to do and come across the most random cases we possibly can that have to do with murder. Trailer coming soon. So pay attention. Keep your eyes out or your ears. Your ears listening. I mean, they have to see it to know to click on it. So it works. And to see that, you can go to our Facebook Nightcap <laughs> True fuck. Crime. Stick with us, you guys. It's going to be good. I promise. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. Well, do not drink and drive. Don't take bath salts. Skip on the cocaine. And, uh, don't podcast please. at midnight. Don't podcast at midnight. Really consult with your physician before being prescribed Ambien or else you will suffer from many of the bad side effects. Also, Georgia Homeboy is a no-go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's it, guys. We got we to gotta be done now. We got to cut it off. All right. Also, FBI, if you have any more information. <laughs> Still wondering about that Benadryl. Yeah. Yo. How much Benadryl? How much? <laughs> Join. Too much. If you understand no. any well, of these inside jokes, dog. you're a bad bitch. We yes. love you. We love you long time. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, bitches. Bye. Bye. Bye.